but not your father's Bible study. No, there's a reason why you'll never hear about tonight's Bible study in your local church. And that is because there are some things in scripture that slaps the official narrative silly. And our controllers can't have that. Most of you have arrived to hear about the mud flood. And that will be the main event afterwards. But first, let's turn to the PDF. Now, this is something that if you want to just listen along to, you can. Uh, you can read along or you can just listen. There's not really pictures in this, so you're not going to uh, get too lost. But since I'm presenting this, I will be reading it. And it is called, Are You a Star or a Planet? The Sins of Sodom Finally Explained. You've heard the one about the sheep and the goats and the other parable concerning the wheat and the tares. The wise and foolish virgins likely ring a bell. There are others. All of them essentially tell the same story, and that is the division of humanity at the coming of the kingdom, separating the righteous from the unrighteous. Talk to just about anyone, and their hope is to be a wise virgin, a sheep, or a bundle of wheat. I have yet, however, to hear anyone in the Christian church preach a sermon on the defining difference between a star or a planet. You'd think somebody would finally get around to it. How many years has it been now since Yahusha HaMashiach walked the earth? Come on, get to it, preacher. Chop, chop. Really, you should be asking yourself that question because it's a biblical one. Are you a star or a planet? As a reminder, this paper is yet another addition to my ongoing Torah in the New Testament series. If you've been following along, then you'll know my conclusions by now. What I'm saying is, Torah is not done away with, as the whole of Scripture from beginning to end commands us to be obedient to it. There are instructions in righteous living. Even heaven abides by them. Probably best to practice holy living then. Argue all you want. But if heaven holds to another law, then nobody has yet to show it to me. Before this is over, you shall see how the defining difference between a star and a planet relates to the sins of Sodom. The very word planet comes from the ancient Greek, and I show it right there, aster or uh, planetes, and essentially means wandering star. Therefore, you should easily be capable of making a division between the multitude of stars which are fixed in the firmament above us and those which are wandering from its position in the wheel. Also, the ancients associated the planets with Elohim, not a coincidence. The passage I am thinking of derives from Yehuda. That's Jude in English. You probably knew that already, that Yehuda was the brother of Yahusha, our Messiah. Best not to assume, though. The entire point of Yehuda's rather short epistle is to warn the set-apart congregation against certain men who have crept in unaware. Today, these same people have capsized the congregation of the set-apart and run the Christian church from the pulpit to the point that the set-apart won't even dare stepping into it. Don't believe me? Well then, it's time we learned about stars and planets from the biblical perspective. And here's a hint. Yahuwah, the Most High Elohim, is not a Copernican. So this comes from Yehuda or Jude chapter 1 verse 6. And it says, And the angels which did not guard their first estate, but left their own habitation, 
he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Now, a quick uh, note. I actually wrote this a few months ago, and this was before I got word that the Hebrew book of Yehuda or Jude is coming on down the uh, turnpike. So it could be released this week, next week, a month from now. I don't know. But it'll be interesting to uh, compare these for sure. Moving on. Already you're reading that and see nothing regarding stars or planets, which means we're off to a bad start. Hold your horses. We're getting to it. As the above quote comes from Enoch or Hanok, and that's Enoch in English. You will tell me he's quoting from Genesis 6 as Enoch isn't in your 66-book canon. No, he's not. Genesis 6 speaks nothing of being reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Only Enoch does. Here, I'll highlight a passage for, for you. Again, Yahuwah said to Raphael, Bind Azazel hand and foot, cast him into darkness, and opening the desert which is in Dudae, Dudael, cast him in there. Throw upon him hurled and pointed stones, covering him with darkness. There shall he remain forever, covering his face, that he may not see the light. And in the great day of judgment, let him be cast into the fire. Skipping ahead several verses. To uh, Michael, or Michael, likewise, Yahuwah said, Go and announce his crime to Samjaza, or Sheyaza, and to the others who are with him, who have been associated with women, that they might be polluted with all their impurity. And when all their sons shall be slain, when they shall see the perdition of their beloved, bind them for seventy generations underneath the earth, even to the day of judgment and of consummation until the judgment, the effect of which will last forever, be completed. Then shall they be taken away into the lowest depths of the fire in torments, and in confinement shall they be shut up forever. This comes from Enoch chapter 10, verses 6 through 9 and 15 through 16. And that's just the thing. Those who vehemently oppose the book of Enoch need toss Yehuda completely out of the 66 canon. 65 just doesn't sit right, though, as a Masonic furniture piece, don't it? <laughs> that might have hit a little too close at home. Yehuda, the brother of Yehusha, doesn't simply quote from the prophet. His entire book thematically hinges upon it. Even Yehuda's quip about the stars and the planets derived from Enoch. I know we haven't gotten to it yet, but these things take time. First things first. Enoch sets the tone when he writes the following. All who are in the heavens know what it is uh, transacted, that the heavenly luminaries change not their paths, that each rises and sets regularly, every one at its proper period, without transgressing the commands. They behold the earth and understand what is there transacted from the beginning to the end of it. Enoch chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. You see, the heavenly luminaries keep to their appointed paths. If they did alter course, then they'd be defined as a wanderer, a planet. They would then transgress the commands, and on earth as well as in the heavens, that's a naughty no-no. It's why Yehuda carries the theme forward when writing about the angels, quote, which did not guard their first estate, but left their own habitation, unquote. 
they ceased being stars and became planets. See, we're already coming around full circle. And no, that's not the planet reference which I promised. Still haven't gotten to it yet. Continuing in Yehuda. Even as Sodom and Amora, or Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Yehuda, Jude, chapter 1, verse 7. The crime of the watchers is compared to the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. Hmm, take a note of that. It's probably a clue as to what a planet actually is. A few verses over, Yehuda then turns his attention on other notable examples of people who match the description of a planet. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, um, Cain and ran greedily after the error of Bilam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of uh, Korak. Yehuda chapter 1 verse 11. Forgive me for highlighting the entire passage, but it's rather difficult not to. Here we see three men, Cain, or rather Cain, Bilam, also known as Balaam, and Korak of Korah's rebellion. All three led the congregation astray and are thusly compared with Sodomites and planets. Don't forget about the planets. Figuring out Cain's tra uh, transgression is an easy one, as he murdered his brother Havel, or Abel. Therefore, we can conclude from the get-go that he broke the Sixth Commandment. You will tell me that you still keep the Ten Commandments and that they have absolutely nothing to do with Torah. Not true. But very well then. There is more to it than that, as Yahuwah did not accept Cain's sacrifice, and that's a Torah thing. In the generations to follow, he and his sons led the sons of Seth astray. But let's move on to our second example. Yehuda next presents us with the error of Balaam. We didn't venture back to, uh, I'm sorry, we needn't venture back to Torah to see what Balaam was guilty of, though, as Yochanan reminds us of it again in Revelation. Here's what he says. Now, I'll comment on this, a little update right after I read this. But I have a few things against you, because you have there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught uh, Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Yasharil to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. Now, again, we it, it's funny, like when we're going through all these Hebrew books and I have to update this stuff, in the Hebrew Revelation, it actually does not have that line there to eat things sacrificed unto idols. But the thing is, is that that's exactly what Balaam did. So um, it's still the same. I mean, it doesn't take away that, that emphasis. Anyway, it seems like this Balaam fellow had a heavy hand in influencing the congregation of Yasharel throughout history, well beyond the wilderness wandering. Only now it's a matter of prophecy. What did he do again? Oh, that's right. He enticed them to sin. Food sacrificed to idols is a stumbling block. And also, it's another Torah thing. Let's read about it. Where does this come from? Oh, this comes from Leviticus chapter 17, verse 7, the dreaded book of Levit Leviticus, the book that has been done away with. And they shall no more offer their sacrifices unto devils, after whom they have gone a whoring. This shall be a statute forever, kind of like in, uh, what is it, the Sandlot? Forever, until them throughout their generations. Wait, hold on. 
isn't Leviticus a series of ceremonial laws? And haven't those ceremonial laws been done away with? Uh-oh, sounds like animal purity, purity laws are still important to Yahuwah. Another clue as to what a planet is. But before jumping to any hasty conclusions, let's look at our third example, just to be certain. Korah. Didn't, didn't Korah rebel against the laws of Yahuwah and teach others to do the same? I think he did. 250 of them. It says so right here. This comes from Numbers chapter 16, verse 3. And they gathered themselves together against Moshe and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the assembly are holy, every one of them, and Yahuwah is among them. Wherefore then, lift ye up yourselves above the assembly of Yahuwah? Before you go on and on about how he was rebelling against Moshe and that the law is a separate issue altogether, as your rebellion against the law is not to be compared with this or his, I will remind you that they are both the same. Moshe was delivering the law of Yahuwah to the congregation, and Korah didn't like that. He falsely claimed that everyone in the assembly was holy, and Yahuwah was among them apart from what Moshe was dishing out. Sounds a lot like a typical Christian sermon. That should terrify you. I'll let you read the account for yourself, but Korah was promptly killed by Yahuwah. Probably best then not to say the law has been done away with within the camp of the elect, as that's the same as being found in contempt of court and worthy of a death sentence. So, to recap, Yehuda presents us with three men comparable with the sins of Sodom. And what did they do again? Don't tell me homosexuality, as it's never once mentioned. They rebelled against the law of Yahuwah. That's what. They're all planets. That's what a planet is. Someone who has wandered from their ordained path and is therefore found to be in rebellion. See for yourself. Going back to Yehuda again. These are the spots in your feast of love. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water. Carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withers without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Yehuda, or Jew, chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. He's actually calling the deceived planets. Think long and hard about that. Take all the time you need. And no, the earth is not a spinning, wobbling planet hurtling through the Kabbalah vacuum of space, as even the earth is expected to be obedient to Torah. Try not to let cognitive dissonance win the day. Also, in speaking about the Christian, you know, cross that out, planets, Yehuda is directing our attention to the 12 patriarchs. Notice how I didn't say he's quoting from the book. That is quite different than thematically pulling from something. Everyone keeps telling me that it's okay to quote from a prophecy found in Enoch while simultaneously not endorsing the entire thing, when in fact that's not what Yehuda is strictly doing. Yes, he quotes from it, but then pulls thematically from it as well. He even pulls from the ascension of Moshe. Quite a lot of extra-biblical literature going on in such a small epistle. Wouldn't you agree? So where does this come from? Oh, this comes, I love this book. This comes from the Testament of Naphtali, chapter 3. Be therefore not eager to corrupt your doings through covetedness 
or with vain words to beguile your souls. Because if you keep silence and purity of heart, you shall understand how to fold fast the will of Elohim and to cast away the will of Beliar. Sun and moon and stars change not their order. So do ye also change not the law of Elohim in the disorderliness of your doings. The Goim, Gentiles, went astray and forsook Yahuwah and changed their order. Ouch. And obeyed sticks and stones, ruachs of deceit. But ye shall not be so, my children, recognizing in the firmaments in the earth and in the sea and in all created things, Yahuwah who made all things, that ye become not as Sodom, which changed the order of nature. How did I not highlight that in red? In like manner, the watchers also changed the order of their nature. Kaboom. Whom Yahuwah cursed at the flood, on whose account he made the earth without inhabitants and fruitless. The Testament of Natali, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Finally, all of our clues add up as Naphtali tells us what it means to be called a planet. Changing the law of Yahuwah is akin to changing the very order of nature. That's not good. Rebelling against the law of Yahuwah is no different than the sin of the watchers. Also, if homosexuality goes against nature, then male-on-male butt sex and rebelling against Torah is inseparable. But who would do something like that? The answer is everybody. Catholics and Christians, and I'll include Orthodox in there, have freed themselves from the law in favor of human doctrine. But so have the Jews, overthrowing the written ordinances for their oral tradition. Departing from the law and becoming like the watchers means walking according to the lawlessness of the goyim, which once again is akin to doing according to all the wickedness of Sodom, which changed the order of nature. Ouch. Sometimes you just have to rip the band-aid off the boo-boo. And this is one of those moments. The truth hurts. Unless you strive to live a righteous life, then the discovery is indeed joyous. If we are to be as the lights in the sky who, according to Enoch, change not their paths, or as Naphtali puts it, change not their order, then we must recognize that nobody is granted the authority to change the law of Elohim. Nobody. Look at the firmament. Our Father is unchanging. Everlasting to everlasting, his ways are eternal. And we read in Psalm 119.89, Forever, O Yahuwah, your word is settled in heaven. Keep arguing here on earth. Back your opinions with seminary all you want, but the matter is settled in heaven. We're either a sheep or a goat. The Torah calls it the blessing or the curse, or in cosmological terms, a star or a planet. The choice is yours. If we remain obstinate in our disobedience, then ask and at least be honest with yourself. Why do you want to spend an eternity feasting in the company of the Most High? All right, guys, thank you for listening in on that. Um, that's been something I wanted to um, read off for some time. Was there any thoughts? Uh, was anybody triggered? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone vehemently disagree? Well, I can add something uh, as as I was listening to that and following along. I I would also classify wandering stars 
uh, not only as planets, but also uh, in in this somewhat e equal to falling stars. For the classification of the wandering stars is obviously you know not following the Torah there and and others, uh, but falling stars also. So I just wanted to add that to it. Yeah, twice the height, double the fall, huh? Yeah. Yeah, what are your thoughts on uh, falling stars? I mean, do you think that they are spiritual beings? Well, as we I... read in yeah, as we read in Enoch and uh, oh, there's two other places. I can't remember the, the, the addresses, but uh, Testament of Solomon is one. Yeah, the, the stars are classified as uh, three, three, cla three descriptions that I found is one, angels, uh, two, priests, and three is uh, believers. Uh, uh, so, uh, because of our, our souls and, and spirits. And when they fall, that to me, that is referencing anyone falling out of grace, so to speak, or falling away or rejecting the Most High. Uh, that's how I interpret that from, from the scriptures and the way it's, way it's uh, written. So how do you connect this to astrology or how people... I've heard oh, you, people say... Yeah, you, you, ever, you ever hear them talk about the, about the yearly meteor showers and stuff like that? It makes me wonder if, if that's yes. kind of like cleaning house every year. Uh, I mean, I don't mean to laugh about that, but I just wonder if that has something to do with it, with, you know, that year's purge of, I don't know, the fallen. It's a good question. Something to think about. Yes. And don't they happen often in the same, uh, Zodiac signs as well? That's a good point. I think so. Yeah. Also think about a planet and I kind of insinuated in here and here's the, here's the esoteric reality of the Copernican revolution. If they're telling us that we are a planet, that we inhabit a planet, which is just laughable. Hopefully everyone in this room right now just can just like, you know, cock back our head, like in that meme and ha ha ha. Right. You know, like just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but what are they actually saying? Right. Like in the, the, the esoteric, the, the exoteric and the esoteric are actually com are connecting here. The aim, if they're saying that we are inhabiting a planet, they want us to also inhabit the qualities of a planet. And that's that's where the you know Copernican revolution ultimately um, you know aims to lead people. So uh lead people away from the creator. And I think we've established that in this uh this flat earth movement and how many of us came to the truth of Torah because we started seeing the Bible in a new literal light that we had never previously imagined before. Anybody else before we move on? I was going to ask, thinking or thinking about the uh, falling stars. When it comes to meteors and the rock or you know metal, metal rock that they say they find in the spot where it hit the ground or whatever. What do you think about that? Yeah, I don't. I I I really don't know. I haven't put a lot of thought into falling stars and meteors. I do know of. I don't know all the references that. Rob mentioned, I only mentioned uh, Testament of Solomon equates them to actually uh, demons um, coming off the firmament. And, but that's, again, I can't even verify that book at this point. 
and I don't I don't really know. It's interesting you mentioned that because <clears throat> there is, I think, this connection between certain metals and um, not um, evil entities. Well, what if they are not uh, fallen uh, fallen stars, but actually just messengers on their way on a mission here? You know, so it looks to us like they are falling. Could be different, on their way. right? It yeah. could be very. Very, very, various. Yeah. Well, well, here's okay. So let's go with that thought. Uh, thank you for bringing that up, Rana. That that's really good. So if I were to take uh, Yaakov's ladder, oh, Jacob's ladder, um, and he he saw that on according to the Aramaic Targum on Mount Zion, and so Mount Zion is also the mountain of worship, and we discussed this uh, a couple months ago that there is some sort of like portal there that there's a connection to heaven above and so Yaakov is there and he sees the ladder and the angels are sending and descending and in the Aramaic Targum it talks about the two angels that two of the angels that came down to Sodom and Gomorrah they actually did not complete their mission they actually screwed up and they could that portal be a tree the tree of life in the center or uh, uh I, maybe I don't know I, I don't think so but maybe um but Hey, did you finish your thought, Noel? Mike jumped in there. Yeah, no, I, I haven't finished yet. The, um, the, the, so the angels are going up and down this ladder, but they see, and finally, you know, Yaakov sees these two angels that uh, they were stuck on the earth for a couple hundred years, and they were finally able to go back up. But the only references I've seen to falling stars are actually demons falling out of the firmament. Which is kind of interesting because it is kind of a violent fall, um, you know. That, I mean, that's a pretty wild ride for uh, for angels of the Most High. And if you think about it, like if you ever watched the Ron Howard film Apollo thirteen or some of those, like when they're coming back, the Apollo astronauts are coming back into uh, to orbit, like they're in the capsule and it's all on fire and they're like a falling star, like shooting down. It's almost like you know what? Think about like what they're mimicking there. I don't know, just kind of it. I just so said yeah, that makes sense that they would come from the center. But what about also maybe the four corners that those also might be um, points of going up and down? Yeah, maybe. Rob, are you going to say something? Yeah, I got another thought to stir the pot is uh, if if we can see falling stars as the pos as the possibility of. Uh, humans you know as being stars are the spirit representing uh us out 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 there also and we see them falling and we just had this conversation that those meteor showers are are in the fall you know time of the year and what else is during the fall but the feast of uh the atonement judgment and, yeah so so, you know, it, I, I think there's something to it. You know, obviously I'm speculating here, but I think there might be something to that. I yeah, think it, you're right. It's I something going on. Yeah, I remember when uh, Sarah and I were dating. We weren't engaged yet. This would have been 2001. And it was, I think, September. It was right around September 11th. It might have been October. I'm not sure. But we went out to Palm Springs out in the desert there to watch the meteor shower. And that would have been, I'd have to look at when the fall feasts were that year, but it probably lined up with the fall feast. 
I mean, it, I remember that whole sky was just lighting up with falling stars. Or meteor showers, whatever they were calling it. Ponder, were you going to say something? No. I must have it by accident. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll look up those, those verses regarding stars, and I'll drop it once I find it, but I'm looking for it. Okay, cool. Well, if, if no one has anything else, uh, I kind of just wanted that to be our little warm-up activity tonight because I will be turning now to the mud flood and something that's kind of uh, personal to me, uh, the city of Charleston. So are you guys ready to move on? Or does anyone else have anything else they want to add? I, no, I had a question. So what is the Greek word for planet? Uh, well, it means wandering star. No, there planet. is no there is no word for it in in Greek. Uh, well, I thought it was planet. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm just wondering because yeah. we don't in Hebrew there is no word. It's it's non-existent. Well, that word doesn't exist in Hebrew. Well, see, now that that's why I brought up because that's really interesting yeah. that the same translators say they're wor wor uh, working on the Book of Jude, and it will be really interesting to see what's there and why. Yeah, we don't have yeah no word for it. All all we have is kochav, which is star, and then mazal. Um, so mazal is basically sign, the zodiac sign. So, so um, in you know when in Genesis, um, when God creates the the heavenly host, He defines them as stars, and then there are stars in a constellation pattern, and that's called a sign. And He assigned them to um, for us to be able to to keep a calendar you know of, of his holidays uh but but there is no planet that word even today in modern hebrew we don't have a word for it now would you you have a word for star now would you have a word for wandering yes yeah, so we we say wandering star yeah in modern hebrew but not in the bible it okay. doesn't exist in the bible well, see, now that will be interesting to see because now I've thought about this. I put in a lot of thought about this this last week, and I'm wondering, I, I can't wait until Jude comes out because yeah. I, I would find it difficult to imagine that, especially since he's quoting from Enoch, and we see the stars in here. Um, and we also see very close references to the uh, book of Natali. I, I would find it really hard to see a Greek translator adding a planet to um to something that didn't exist in hebrew like conceptually uh you know it's just it, it'll be really weird so yeah again uh time will tell we'll have to find out we'll yeah. have to all eagerly read it when it comes out